I'm Kelly. And welcome to The Millennial Minimalist. Hi, everyone. I am very excited to share this episode with all of you today. For a second time, Lauren and I are joined by famed dating strategist and breakup coach Natalia Juarez to talk all about dating, relationships, and breakups. Natalia believes that less can be more when it comes to navigating love, and she shares her expertise on how to cultivate healthy and real love. And together we discuss dating strategy, better breakups and exit plans, breakup recovery tips, and even ideas on how to get your ex back. Natalia recently appeared on Good Morning America, and her work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, GQ, The Guardian, Vice Magazine, The Globe and Mail, NPR, and more. Whether you are single, in a relationship, married, navigating a breakup, or going through heartbreak, this conversation is for you, and we hope that our fun and informative discussion will leave you feeling inspired. Hey, you guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you guys. So thanks so much for speaking with us today, Natalia. The last time we interviewed you was back in 2018. And so we're super, super excited to speak with you again. So you are a dating strategist. You help people navigate the modern dating world. And you are also a breakup coach, helping clients through every stage of a breakup. And in addition to helping heal broken hearts, you also help others get back together with their exes, which is super interesting. So to start our conversation, I'm hoping you can give our listeners a brief background on you and the experiences that inspired you to start your business. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on again. So yes, so I call myself the breakup coach, but I, in truth, I'm really more of a, a general relationship coach, but I have a soft spot for breakups for sure. And so I help people through the entire spectrum of breakups, including breakup recovery, but also initiating breakups and also recoupling, helping people get back together. And how I got into this was, you know, about 10 years in the making. I, in my twenties, I actually started, I have a background in gender studies. I was always really fascinated with, with relationships and um, with men and women and masculinity and femininity and like the intersection of identity. And then, you know, but then after that, you know, that didn't really turn anything into anything. I became a teacher and it really wasn't until a few months before I turned 30, when my engagement ended, that I stopped and took a good look at myself and thought I really wanted to turn my love life around in my, in my thirties. I didn't, I didn't want to repeat the same mistakes in my twenties and I thought I'm going to start with what's within my control and that's with myself and just kind of learn about what I can do better and different. Yeah. And in an interview on the Alpha Female podcast, you said that you are the person that you wish you had in your life at the time. So is that, was that kind of a part of your motivation to help others? Yes. Because when I went, like my, my engagement ended, that was my second major breakup and I just knew I didn't want to, that first one, it took me, that was in my mid twenties. I was with someone for about seven years, 18 to 25. And we were on and off like that breakup, just like really, really dragged out. And I thought, I really don't, I didn't want to repeat all of those mistakes. So I was committed before I even knew what to do and to not going back, having like clear boundaries and through everything that I learned, I really wanted to share that with everyone. And I thought it should never have been that difficult. So I always love meeting people who are struggling in certain areas of their romantic life and being able to give them a lot of the insights and tools that I've gained. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I had one person call me. She was like, she's like, it's like, you're like the fairy godmother of breakups. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know that's, and especially during what we're going through today in terms of COVID-19, I'm, I'm sure that you are busier than ever. I can't even imagine whether that's people, you know, in this new, uh, dating world, online mostly, or, or those who are in relationships or married and, and in the same place 24-7. Uh, so to start with your expertise in dating strategy, uh, considering you work with single clients, what are two words you would use to describe dating in a COVID world and why? I love this question. It's a very minimalist question. <laughs> <laughs> two words, refreshing and slow. Oh, Yes. And, and it's not just because like, I'm an optimist. <laughs> I, I, see, I see the opportunity in this. Are there new challenges? Yes, of course. But we're always adapting. And I think, I think for a lot of people, who, people were really frustrated with the general direction of dating, in particular online dating, how casual things had gotten. Um, kind of, there was there's like this paradox of choice, like there were just like too many choices. And it was almost like a dis- very disposable dating culture. So I think it's good that things have kind of slowed down the same way there's been like a, like a slow cooking movement. You know, I think people are craving that. So now there's an opportunity for things to be a little bit more um, compatibility driven. Wow. That's a really interesting perspective. So you're saying by through online dating, everybody's kind of isolated, right? So it's a slower process. Uh, and it's interesting because Lauren was always telling me, she's like, hey, you know, it's basically, you know, you're connecting over video chats. Is that right, Lauren? Like, or you're walking in the park. Yeah, those are your only two options to date right now. So it, it ha- it's been interesting. I like that you said it's slow. I never thought of it in that way. It does really slow it down. Um, and I want to ask you, like, if, I think a big issue with dating right now is kind of like how many people you should be dating at once. And what we're kind of coming into is that, you know, we we are slowing down, but before it was like, we were dating so many people that it was hard to find a connection with one person because there was just so many people you were talking to. So what's your advice on how many people you should be dating at once? And you know, do you think if you're dating too many people, it can defer you from finding a connection with one person? Yes, but it starts off with a lot of people. Okay. You know, like if you think of like, you know, like a sales funnel, you know, you're going to, you're going to need a lot. You're going to need a lot to start with a lot of people because they may or may not actually turn into anything serious. So if before, before COVID, I would have said, you know, to have about three in the mix, usually kind of like three. The ma- a main three in your pipeline. And then when one drops off to kind of just replace it, and that just helps you to not have all your eggs in one basket, um, to feel abundant through the dating process. But if anything, now I might up it to like five because it's easier to connect. Like it's, it's just a little easier to have multiple dates and like one day or more dates a week because video is easier. I am the worst for dating people. And the second I start liking one the most, I get rid of everyone else. And then if that doesn't work out, then everyone's gone. I have to start over. So that's definitely like a huge issue in Mm -hmm. my date. So do you encourage online dating then, Natalia? Of course, especially now, you know, because before it would have been mainly through online dating because there's just, it's because it's efficient. There's so much more information there as well. And then also the secondary way would be through like warm leads through your communities. But right now that's harder or 
like I think what a lot of people now are building is more like being part of online communities, but like that will take time to build. So right now the main dating avenue is definitely online dating. So people need, like, I know there's, (laughs) it's online dating is such a bad rap, but I think that that comes back to people not knowing how to do it well and having, and having overall a very poor attitude when it comes to dating in general. Yeah, no, and actually, uh, you mentioned also in the Alpha Female podcast that searching for your best match from you were initially doing that from you know a physical perspective, and it wasn't working for you. Uh, so, what self practices can users adopt to better understand their relationship goals and and potentially like increase their chances of making a quality connection? First of all, it starts off with like knowing what you want. So few people like ever take the time to really distill what's not just what do I want, but, and well, first it's brainstorming it all to just, you know, get it out of your head and your heart. And then to sift out the priorities, like what is most important and essential, and then to prioritize those. And often those are related to your values and not that you need to find someone with the exact same values, but you want to find someone where it's like, those are, they're, they're complementary. So maybe there's something that we should do. Maybe there's, we should write down two columns and say like, Hey, like these are qualities about myself. These are the qualities that I'm looking for in a partner before we even go on these apps. I don't know. Maybe there's a practice that we should be doing. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like prep work that can go in before you just kind of like dive in. Like, do you even really know yourself? Are you, do you know how to present yourself? Well, like it is, it is not something that comes naturally to many people to know how to brand yourself. A lot of people don't even have like the right pictures where it's like, they really feel like, yes, like that, that really captures the essence of who I am. So investing time in, in working on like your marketing material, basically, and then getting really clear also on like your, you know, your ideal, like your target market. And is that, is that authentically coming from your heart or is it just what you think you should want? Right, right. I and back to the idea of like setting up a profile that really reflects who you are. That is so important. Uh, on a side note, I listened to the J Train podcast with Jared Freed. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It is hilarious. He's a comedian. He talk. He answers relationship questions that from people who send him questions through email, and he says that. If you're building an online profile, you should share it with a couple close friends and family members before you post it, so that it's actually a reflection of you. So, yeah, because people often don't know, like they they just kind of know like their internal world. They sometimes don't know necessarily like how they're perceived. And mm-hmm. yes, and then another thing, have you guys seen the show um, Love Is Blind on Netflix? Yes. Did you yeah. see it, Lauren? I saw part of it. Yeah, and I know what it's about. I know you're all for it, Natalia. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the dating shows. I love The Bachelor. I know they're problematic in so many ways. and, um, But, you know, I, I just love kind of analyzing, like, the, the relationships in general. And, and But what I particularly loved about Love is Blind was how a lot of the response that people had to the show, and this was pre-COVID, was, oh, like, I, I want to date in a pod. Right. Like what they wanted was the, okay. And for people who don't know what was kind of going on in the show was they had a group of men and a group of women, and then they were put in these pods. And so they could talk, but they couldn't see each other. And so all day long, they would have these conversations. And then the only way you eventually got to meet someone was you actually had to get engaged, which is pretty crazy. (laughs) Without seeing them. Yeah. But this concept of dating in a pod 
is kind of what people are doing now, but you get to like see each other. But what I think people were really, really craving is I want the opportunity to really connect with someone um, beyond like the physical. And I want to be able to kind of get out of my own way of like my typical type. So I think that virtual dating is, is, is definitely offering um, that opportunity. Yeah. I feel like in, it's in some ways refining how we date and it eases, eases the pressure to impress because it removes our dating masks because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're separated. We can't see if you can't see each other. And so you're really diving deep in someone's, you're trying to like, you're really, it's really building compatibility, like figuring it out if you guys are compatible uh, outside of the physical, right? So it's really cool that you can build that deep connection with someone before even seeing them. Although what's funny about that show is like, I mean, obviously your attraction is also important, but it's so interesting, like how you can fall for somebody's voice. And how you and and just how they speak and what they talk about. I, I love that show so much. Uh, yeah, just 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 even you know to, to kind of analyze like how does courtship look this way? And so courtship is like what hasn't changed. And I've been thinking a lot about this: is who we are as humans, our drive for love, for connection, has stayed the same. Courtship is always evolving. Like there is nothing wrong with the fact that things are kind of taking this like interesting turn. There will be some, you know, as as restrictions start easing, it will become easier, but there may be elements that people want to maintain. Like maybe before we meet in person, maybe we do meet virtually first. And I, th- I think that really will save on time. Yeah, no, it definitely does. It definitely there does. There was a big article um, out this uh, relationship coach, Gandhi. She's a dating coach in Chicago. She said after social distancing ends that people are going to go, they're going to start with messaging and then they're going to do a phone call and then a video call and then they'll meet in person. And it should always follow this, like, you know, to like get a good idea of the person before you're committing to meeting them in person. And I'm interested to see how this is going to play out. And if it, like, like you said, like meeting virtually, I, and I've done a bunch of Skype dates during this and I've loved it. Like I'm literally watching Netflix and I'm like, oh, I have a date in 90 seconds and mm-hmm. just put on some lipstick and switch over to Skype. So it, it does take that time commitment of dating and lets you meet so many more people. Like you say, through the funnel, just filtering and, them. And the people you might not have been more open to meeting in person because of that investment, right? Like that's like an evening event is like, okay, well, yeah, like I can give, I can talk to someone for half an hour, talk to anyone for half an hour. Yeah, that's, that's true. And it takes the alcohol component out too. Like if you're just speaking over Skype and, or I've gone for walks with people too, six feet apart, but, um, you know, you're, you're just engaged in conversation going for a walk. Like, I, I don't know. It's so nice. It's so refreshing. Like there's no, you're not drinking, you're not out in public. Like you're, well, you're not at like a restaurant. You're just kind of going for a walk by the water. It's very casual, which is nice. Yes. And I think for a lot of men, it's in particular, <clears throat> I've heard it's also taken the pressure off of them feeling like they have to like invest so much in dating. Yeah. The financial that yes. they're saving on this, not that they're expected to pay, but um, it, it does take that burden off of men. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So from your perspective, Natalia, I guess a lot of your clients are kind of 
taking advantage of online dating and, and it's working in a positive way. Yes. I mean, sometimes it takes on massaging some encouraging. Like I, I, I just think I, I'm just really excited about the, like the opportunities that have, that have come out of this. And, and I hope that there are also like new kind of platforms that, that emerge or evolve to incorporate more of these elements of making the most of virtual meetings. And like one of the things I'd heard recently was that it's also beginning to expand even like geographically. People are more open to connecting with people, you know, outside of their like normal dating range. Like people who are in like smaller towns or, you know, just maybe aren't having like, you know, as much luck or some, for some people who've exhausted their immediate communities. You know, it's like, I'm always seeing the same people. <laughs> I've gone through my matches. <laughs> um, do you think that the, uh, like the bad side of this is that we have so much, so many options that it kind of, we're like, oh yeah, you're great. But like, maybe there's someone better. Like maybe I should keep going. Like, do you feel that some people are like that or? Yeah. So this comes back to paradox of choice and it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a thing that we deal with as humans and some more than others. Like some people will meet someone incredible and be like, I'm good. And so sometimes it's personality based sometimes it has to do with attachment style, but then there are also people who are what they call maximizers where they're always looking for like, is this the best I can get? But that, that's sometimes there the way that they, they deal with anything. Is this the best car? Is this, I don't know, the best restaurant? Like they're always like looking for reviews. They need the best. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I listened to thought leader and podcaster, um, Jay Shetty and Jay Shetty posted a video, uh, yesterday, actually he was talking about how it, it should really be about compatibility. And a lot of people are always looking for every quality in their partner, but it's not reality. Like some of those qualities you want in your partner, it, you can get from your friends. You know what I mean? Like you can't get every single thing from your partner. Would you agree with that? Like, I mean, you can get most things and think about the things that are most important to you, but they're not going to check every box. Yeah. Having some like, definitely. And I think that comes, people can tell you that, but for some people, they need to kind of grow into that where, where they, they kind of try to get everything met by that one person, they see that that kind of doesn't work, kind of having that expectation on that person that there's that uh, TED talk by Esther Perel, um, that first one she did where she talks about all of the the expectations people have um, of their primary partner. But, and also the, the better your life is set up so that your, your needs are met from like, yes, your friends, your social circles, different communities, books, then your partner just gets to be, just gets to be them. And they get, you know, to just, yeah, be your home base, but yeah, it's a ton of pressure. And it's also not very sexy sometimes to demand so much mm-hmm. from someone. Mm-hmm. He said something about how you guys have to be on the same page in terms of communication. And then he went into having both having goals uh, that kind of move in the same direction. And I, I, I don't think I remember the third one, but it had something to do with, I think it was more value focused, like what you wanted of life. So yes. 
Yeah. So moving on to, for those who are in relationships or who are married, because uh, I know you also discuss, um, you also work with clients who are in relationships or they are living with their partner. Uh, in psychologytoday.com, I read that the number one thing that can impact the quality of a relationship is the attachment style of each partner, which is called attachment theory, which um, I believe it was founded by John um, Balby in yeah, the 1960s. And so I'm hoping you can explain what attachment theory is and how understanding our style and our partner style can help us resolve or avoid issues. And I believe there are four styles. So, so excited. Yes. So I, I have a blog called The Secret to Drama-Free Love, and it is based on attachment theory. So attachment theory changed my life. And well, because what had happened was in my early 30s, I was in therapy, I'm dating up a storm. And after like a year in therapy, I felt like we were having the same conversation over and over again. And finally, I said to her, I was like, what is your opinion? Like, what do you, what do you think? Like, I give you permission. <laughs> and she was like, well, she's like, Natalia, you might want to take a look at attachment theory. And I was like, okay. So I go do my homework. And I found a book, binged it that weekend. Like this was on a Friday. I just, I couldn't put this book down and it explained my entire love life. Wow. Uh, yes. So what it is, is they're, they're generally more like three styles, um, you know, to kind of keep it really simple. So about 50% of the population has more of a secure attachment style and it, it is based in, you know, upbringing. So as children, they would have had a lot of their needs met. They were pretty like they were well emotionally um, well regulated, and they grow up feeling like the world is very safe. They're lovable. They can communicate their needs. Um, they're overall, yes, pretty balanced people. And when they go through breakups, they're like, "Yes, it'll be sad. Breakups are hard, but I'll be okay." Then there's the avoidant group, about twenty five percent of the population. And as children, yeah, like they tended to be a little bit more independent for certain reasons, either because it was there was like you know they felt enmeshed or they kind of, there was a bit more neglect, but they tend to turn inwards and they grow up kind of keeping love at a distance and they can be, need a lot of alone time. They can be very like driven. They compartmentalize their emotions and in relationships over time, they often can find faults with the other person or the relationship, but it's often to create because they're very, because intimacy for them sometimes isn't, doesn't feel safe. And when they go through breakups, sometimes they're like next like they don't, they don't often need a ton of, of processing time. Like they, they would never know why someone would need a breakup coach. <laughs> wow. Okay. And then, and the, then yeah. the third category is about 20%, like roughly, these are rough estimates, but about 20% of the population, they have a, a, an anxious attachment style. So as children there, it may have been, uh, maybe, maybe like some of their needs may have been like neglected or maybe like inconsistent caregiving, like maybe a parent was working. Um, you know, as, as as babies, like we can't really communicate our needs. So it's really easy to sometimes for these things to adapt. So the anxious style grow up have being almost like love addicts. Like they um, are preoccupied by, preoccupied by their relationships. And they, it's almost like they have a sixth sense. If anything's going wrong, like, is everything okay? They're the ones that have trouble focusing at work. If anything's going wrong in their relationships and they can be loyal to a fault it can be very difficult for them to get to end relationships. They stay in toxic relationships. And when they go through breakups, they are devastated. They have a lot of these thoughts of what if I never meet anyone? 
Um, but if they were like a lot of like, they feel a lot of like that. They were my soulmate. It's like my intuition. Actually, no, it's just their attachment style has been activated. So that that's 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 the very very short summary. Wow, that is fascinating. Is it? That's what I wanted to sh- share with Lauren. I I didn't tell her about this question, so I was curious. What are your thoughts, Lauren? You know, it's weird when you were talking about it. I felt like I I definitely have qualities out of all three of those. But um, okay, I, mean, I would like to think I was in the fifty percent, but I don't know. But my well, my changes a bit. I feel like sometimes I'm like, okay, I'll find someone else, and then other times I'm I'm like really upset over it. So. So most people tend to know what they generally are. And I think it's important because the language can sometimes be difficult because people can be thankful, well, I'm very confident or I'm secure. But actually, this just shows up in your intimate relationships and primarily your romantic partnership. So that's why like, you can just be like, you know, killing it in life. And then people look at your love life and they're like, what's going on there? That's just so not you to like not be able to connect or to hyper connect. And then something for also what I find is, Yes, there are general types that that people that can become activated in particular when people are under stress. However, they are dynamics. So you can kind of ebb and flow depending on the relationship. That helps clarify things because some people can say, oh, you know, I'm secure in life. It's like, well, maybe not in your relationship. Yes. Or, you know, even someone who has a secure attachment, the more attracted or invested they are in someone, the more anxious they might show up in that dynamic. And that's why it can be hard to be, feel like you're being yourself. And then, but with someone who like, you're just like not that attracted to, um, you can kind of start feeling like avoidant. And there's just like something about them that kind of feels like really unattractive and is almost like repellent. Ooh, that's interesting. Cause Lauren, you've said that to me before. You've said, Oh, you know, when I'm with this person, oh, I can just dress down and just completely be myself. But when I'm with this person, I like get dressed up and I like get all ready. And I'm like, oh, like I'm hopeful that when you're that person that gets all dressed up, you're still Lauren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then sometimes I like the person that makes me step up my game. I don't know. It, it's hard to find the balance. And I, I want to ask you this. So do you think with breakups, it's good to go and read that book and understand that theory and see where you fall in it? Because I've been talking to Kelly about this. And, you know, if you recently broke up with someone, which I'm sure a number of people are going through breakups or even dating and being rejected or all the different spectrums, do you think it's good to take a step back and actually heal from a, a recent breakup or even being rejected or you think it's good to get right back out there and start dating again because I feel like sometimes when you get back out there and you, you're talking to someone new then you're excited again and you're not really thinking about the other person but then maybe you didn't give yourself enough time to heal and that could have backlash in itself so what's your advice on that it definitely depends on the magnitude of the breakup the grief that the romantic grief that you're feeling, um, your age, your experience with breakups, um, whether you were broken up with. I mean, if you were the one breaking up, you've probably already really gotten a head start. But for someone who, yeah, is is having, I would say, a, like a painful breakup, definitely to give yourself at at the very least three months. Um, I would say it's probably closer to six months. You know, and that's kind of it. It's like usually the first three months, and that's like one season, is is usually extremely painful. It's where like a lot of the withdrawal, the obsession kind of happens. And then the second, the, that second three months is more about the rebuilding. 
you know, rebuilding your life, you know, beginning to bridge getting back out there. Yeah, I think I think it's healthy to give yourself that time now. But for someone who has an anxious attachment style, they will be devastated and they will be dying to get back out there. Right. They want to like fill, they want to fill that, that void. They, they, they are craving connection. So that's, you know, a sign would be a friend who, you know, is kind of out there and they're not ready. Like me, when I dated, I was online dating a month after my engagement ended. Wow. I have, I identify as having an anxious attachment style, although I have learned to become more secure functioning. And I definitely kind of want to touch on this is that there's nothing there's like, if people kind of look this up, often they make it seem like if you're secure, it's the best, but you know, it's, there are definitely benefits to being, you know, more emotionally regulated in your relationships. Um, however, I think there are, there are benefits and like superpowers to each one and that yes, it was upbringing, but it's also based on personality and also, from an evolutionary standpoint, these three types evolved because sometimes it was more advantageous to be one or the other. The most important thing is to be self-aware and to, to, to work with that. I think that too much of what's out there makes the middle one, especially that avoidant type, seem like the people you should stay away from, like the worst kind. Sometimes some of my clients, they'll go and they'll look, they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm the worst one. I'm like, no, like now that you're, you're aware, like that's also, we need people who have, who, who can compartmentalize their emotions a little bit more. Yep. It's how you manage them, right? So you recognize yeah. what category you fall into and then you can manage them. Uh, though it's interesting that you say that because some people, when they get a relationship, they immediately jump on an app. Uh, so I guess that would be more of the anxious style. But um, mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast uh, between um, Matthew Hussey and Lewis Howes on the School of Greatness podcast. And Matthew Hussey is a relationship coach. And he recommends that we cook like an athlete, uh, which involves more baby steps for long-term gain uh, rather than jumping on short-term solutions that could potentially cause more problems because you haven't really mourned the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I really took that but, in. But like, some people, you know, some people actually do recover really quickly, especially if, say, they have a lot of closure. Like they really have a lot of peace with, you know, why they, why they broke up. It'll still be hard, but it will be accelerated. It's for people who carry some of that ambivalence and that false hope where it's really more drawn out. Right. Right. No, that makes sense. Um, and moving it uh, back to the idea of moving it to the focus of relationships. Uh, in an interview on the Start Well podcast, you said that attachment theory and communication in relationships should be skill sets taught in school. And I loved that. I was like, yes. Uh, what are two simple strategies people can use to better communicate with their partner um, or, or even just one? something just solid that really helps relationships. Communication is a skill and it is, it's not like, Oh, I'm a good communicator. or I'm a bad communicator. It's, it's a skill. So if it's, some, it's something you're challenged, I, I, I encourage people to take that on as like lifelong. Um, you're always enhancing that part. Something for couples is to have to structure into their relationship, this concept of check-ins. So, and you could say, you know, once a month or, you know, depending on how much you need it. Um, something that's healthy is maybe like once or twice a month to have a time where we come together and we just kind of clear anything. Like this might be something that I kind of like, I don't know, want to bring up or this is bothering me or I want more of this. And um, just because then 
then it offers people if there if something's come up, it's like I know I have a time when I can bring this up with my partner, and we're gonna have like a really like you know safe space, um, and we're gonna have like the time dedicated to like work through this, and in versus having the anxiety of like okay, how do I bring up like okay I need to talk but don't worry it's nothing serious and yeah so this really concept this to build in check-ins. Yeah, actually, I have a friend of mine, him and his girlfriend, they have a check-in every Sunday evening. I was like, that's so interesting. Even if like nothing's wrong, it's just like check in with each person's emotions, their life. Uh, I mean, not everybody sees what their partner's life is day to day. I mean, now maybe so, but, uh, but it's nice to have that time where you can connect where it's like, oh, you know, it's, it's not because it's built in, it's not, Oh, something wrong. So there's something wrong. Right. So by building it in, there could be, everything could be great, you know? So that makes it, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I really do. Some weeks it's like, I'm good. Other weeks it's like, you know, you can support me by like doing this or this, or my sleep's been off or, you know, can you for, you know, for the next couple of weeks kind of take over in like this area, or can you hold me accountable in this area of my life? Like, you know, for me, I've been so busy that I recently asked my partner for like accountability around, I need you to encourage me to work out because I'm not giving myself permission to take the time I need for self-care. So like that, yeah, sometimes it's with the other person. Sometimes sometimes it's with yourself. Ooh, I love that he's keeping you, like you're asking him to keep you accountable. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I should work out today. Right. He's like, yes. I, I was like, you don't think I should like, you know, work on my book. He's like, no. Go work out. Oh, I love that. I mean, uh, considering couples are in the same environment, many couples, uh, 24-7 today. Um, Also on the podcast between Matthew Hussey and Lewis Howes, uh, he says that desire exists in the space between each other. Uh, So considering many couples are in the same environment, uh, what simple things can they do to keep the fire alive or spark intimacy? So on that, another I don't even know if it's a quote or I don't know who said it, but it's that fire needs air. I like that. Yes. So again, build it in, communicate it. For couples who are together 24-7, especially if they're living in a small small space, is, you know, have times when like I have the house to myself. Like not just, sometimes it can be like, I'll be in this room, you be in that room. But other times it's like, I just want the house to myself and I know you're not going to come home for like three hours. And I, I don't know, I have, I have the energetic space to just kind of do my own, my own thing. Um, and yeah, like I've been thinking a lot about, you know, couples at this time, it's definitely challenging right now. I've often thought, how do we want to remember this time? And do we want to remember it that, you know, we were like, like all stressed out and it was difficult or is it, yes, certain elements were hard, but there were also really sweet memories. Like in our house, it's been that you know, dinners, like we're always having, I, I find like we're cooking more than we ever have. And dinner every night is almost kind of like this, like nice event um, that we have to look forward to. Or it could be as simple as like, you know, going, going for like longer walks. So you're building that time in together, which is awesome. Yeah. I have yeah. friends of mine, married friends of mine who set m- movie dates so they yes. can do their own thing during the day. And they know they know that, hey, we're both going to focus, but we're both going to get together at this time. So it builds some excitement. So yes. I thought that was really neat. Yeah. It's cute. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is. It really is. And you have to do that. You have to keep it interesting. Um, like, honestly, I, and I've read this before that the key to a great relationship is creativity, also caring, but like creativity, like mix things up, keep things exciting. 
yes, creativity, novelty, but like, and that's, that's the work of both people, you know, talking about it. It's so easy to kind of slip into what's, what's comfortable and easy and routine. Sometimes it's important to just like mix things up. And I'm, I'm not surprised how much I've been seeing online about people having less sex. Like at first people were having sex a lot because it's like we're home all the time. This is amazing. And then, and then now, yeah, like I, I've seen so many articles of like, if you're not having as much sex as you used to be, like, that's okay. Like relax, kind of giving yourself a little bit of grace during this time now, but also, you know, keep an eye on it. And is there anything you can do again? Like kind of going back to check-ins, let's check in on our sex life. Yeah, no, that's so important. And again, as you said, with, with uh, to keep the fire that needs to be air. So <laughs> building me time for each yes. other, you know, so that's so important. I mean, Lauren and I live on our, live on our own. So uh, we have that space, but yeah, I could see how it could be challenging, but it's also it could be something you can work on. Yeah. I feel like that check-in is so important. It's such a good concept because sometimes if there's like something little bothering you and you just say it right in the moment, like they could have had a terrible day at work, like they could have other stuff going on and it just blows up into this huge fight. Whereas if you're like, you know what, now's not the time I'm going to bring this up at, you know, our weekly or monthly or a bi-weekly discussion. I feel like my parents need that. I should, because my dad's always like, don't want to fight with your mother. <laughs> so now they can, he can have his like, weekly like sit down yeah and and then you know by the time you get to that check-in it might not even be top of mind anymore you might have resolved it yeah that's true because it may have just been something you're annoyed in the moment because something's going on in your life but it's not as big of a deal in a week or it's really just a very safe space and then and then people will also build trust the more it's like hey sometimes there's actually something to work through sometimes it's like not even about me sometimes it's actually something positive that's another thing to add in. Also maybe adding in like, you know, what you've really appreciated recently um, and to recognize, you know, like I recognize that, you know, you've been working a lot and I'm just so proud of you or something like that. Yeah, that's true. No, it's so important. Um, another thing I'm backing up a little bit, but I really wanted to say this. You were talking about how some people, when they get broken up with, um, they're like so devastated and other people are able to move on. I do find that the more I date and the more I go through this process, it, it's just so much easier. Like before, if I was rejected, I was like heartbroken. I was like, there's something wrong with me. And then now when it happens or if a guy's not interested or he's like, I'm not feeling the connection, I'm just like, oh, this is just part of the process. Like, so it, it is interesting how you just, the more you're exposed to it mm-hmm. and you, the more people you break up with, the more people you get broken up with, it just... I mean, you become desensitized a little bit, but it, it's nice that it, you just understand it's part of the dating process. Like when people get really upset over a guy getting rejected, I'm like, oh, honey, you just got to date more. I'm like, I've been rejected so many times. It doesn't even affect me anymore. Well, it just, just the word rejection, like holds so much meaning when that's not even what it is like that's what we call it but actually it's just like I just wasn't a match and and yes you begin to take it less personally but yeah. that ex- like in my intake form with with breakups I, I always ask like you know is this your first like big breakup or your first breakup of this magnitude because it matters like if you've been through it once once before you know you can recover and you know you can meet someone else yeah I, so I have a really important question on, and you, when you did your introduction, you talked about, you know, in your thirties, it was so much 
different dating because you were able to reflect back on your 20s and all the mistakes you made. So how, when someone's dating, if, you know, it doesn't work out or they do get that, I didn't feel a connection text, you know, how much should you reflect on mistakes you could have made and that you want to improve on in the future, but not to the point where you're like jaded or feel like there's something wrong with you. And do you think it's appropriate to ask the person like what they didn't feel the connection with or, or if their um, feedback is valuable because maybe you don't know what you're doing wrong and you want to fix that for the future. If you're able to like put your ego aside for a second and be vulnerable. Wow. Okay. So yes. So, okay. So you're asking how to like not be jaded, how to look at yourself. Yeah. And like make sure you're not continuing to make the same mistakes. And do you think you should ask them? For their feedback. Yeah. Or is that? It depends on, it depends on the quality of the relationship, whether or not they'll even really be honest. Yeah. Right? That's so, and that's why someone like a coach or a therapist can sometimes be a little bit more objective about you just kind of mirroring back what could have been more on your end or what you were bringing to the relationship. Or, you know, and there's usually those two parts of, of, Okay, what what is it that I'm whether it's like your attachment style or needs or expectations um, that what am I bringing and then but also what's on the other end of of because if you keep attracting the wrong kinds of people the wrong things are going to keep also popping up in you so yes I think I think it's kind of it's kind of twofold but to look at yeah look at yourself without getting like really really like down and to be yeah compassionate with yourself. Yeah. I mean, uh, honing in on breakup strategy. I mean, considering heartbreak today is in some ways heightened because of the loneliness that comes with COVID. What are some simple strategies we can use to cope with breakup stress? Is it focusing inward? Is it cleaning up our old relationships out of our house? Is it creating a relationship plan? What do you suggest? In terms of simple strategies, one of the first would be to work on giving yourself closure about like why the relationship ended. Um, often I call these anchors. So after a breakup, because of attachment, it's really natural once the, especially if you didn't want the breakup to happen, um, when the attachment's been ruptured for a part of your brain to go into overdrive, trying to reestablish connection for your safety and security. And so this is why often your, your brain just starts producing all of these good memories and it feels like, oh, I see them everywhere. It's a sign. But actually, actually no, your, your, your brain is just trying to keep you safe. So what you need to do is energize all of the things that weren't working. So you just need to keep redirecting to things that you didn't love about the relationship, things that weren't working, and then also qualities about the other person that you didn't like. And, and it's not to you know, blame your partner or anything. It's just to leverage those anchors to bring, to have more perspective. And then when you, and then once you're, you know, you're in a better place, then you can think more about the relationship in terms of what you really appreciated and what you didn't like. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, that's so that, so that's, that's, the clo- that's the closure piece. Like get clear, yes, on why it ended. The second one, and it keeps coming up so much recently, is mindfulness. The practice of mindfulness, I mean, it is important in all aspects of our life, but in particular around breakup recovery, because one of the most painful parts is all of the thoughts that come up. Um, because like thoughts will create, will trigger emotions that trigger a chemical response. And so if you can get a handle 
on the thoughts, you know, before they kind of start that, that, that chain reaction. Um, and usually it's not pushing the thoughts away. It's just practicing letting them go so that you don't ingrain and, and cr- actually create a habit of, of continuously thinking about your ex and the breakup. And that goes back to mental minimalism. I mean, people carry this baggage after, uh, I mean, mentally in their minds after a breakup, uh, but turning the conversation over for those who are not 100% sure about their partner and kind of want to break up with them, but they don't know how, how can they let go of living in constant internal debate? You know, living in, oh, should I break with, up with them? Should I not? I mean, maybe there's a practice that they can do to kind of figure it out. Mm-hmm. So the process of deciding whether or not you want to break up is called discernment. And there are a couple articles on, on my website. And a lot of people don't know about it because it's usually reserved more for people who are um, trying to decide whether or not they should divorce. But actually, it's a skill set that you can use within your relationships to evaluate should we break up or not. And so, yeah, I have an article on it on like six main categories to evaluate in terms of connection, character, communi- uh, the connection, compatibility. Like, So for those people, kind of same thing, get really, really clear on like why why you want the relationship to end and are things workable or not workable if they're not workable then you know what to do if they are workable then decide whether or not you even want to work on them do you even have the energy in the relationship to to work through things um and if you are going to initiate a breakup it should the best way is for it to be a bit of a process do not blindside the other person it is the number one reason breakups are so hard for the person on the receiving end they didn't see it coming and all of a sudden it was just like this news was just delivered and, and it turned, it went from like being in a relationship where we're doing things together to like, you made this like one-sided decision and it's really not fair. So as hard as it is communicating your concerns, your doubts, letting that energy be in the relationship so that the person can also acclimatize and be able to try to course correct. Wow. I mean, you, you were a guest on Good Morning America last year and you offered advice on how to break up properly. So for those looking to break up with their partner, I mean, what are some simple and or mindful things they should consider before doing so? Is it, I guess you're saying set time slots. Um, you mentioned in this conversation, uh, do it on Friday mornings. <laughs> Is that Friday, a- Friday after work. Okay. Yeah, ideally Friday so that the person can early in the evening so someone can call a friend, they have the weekend to process, and if they need to, they can take the Monday off. Like this is if someone has a traditional work schedule. But yeah, just just to give the person the opportunity for a long weekend. Like don't do it in the middle of like their work week. Yeah. Timing's important, but definitely make it a process where you don't blindside them, have the conversation and then have a plan where you're you're the one to leave and give them space, say if you live together. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Yeah, it was, it's so interesting. I was having a conversation yesterday with Kelly about this, just like basic dating or relationship etiquette. And it's so important. I feel like you could write a whole book on this, Natalia. But just being respectful of people from the beginning, like going on dates, thanking them. If you don't feel the connection, letting them know. Um, not being defensive if you're the person being broken up with. And then this whole process of like breaking up with someone in in like the nicest, you know, most easiest way possible. Like this information is so important. And I feel like people we're so inexperienced and we don't know what to do. So this information is just so important. Like I never thought of that. 
And this, you know, the, this week I was thinking about relationship intelligence. Um, and I'm sure it's a thing, but it's kind of like when we think of like emotional intelligence, that's become, you know, uh, a common thing people think about, but relationship intelligence, including knowing your attachment style, being able to communicate, knowing how to assess your relationships, initiate a breakup, handle a breakup. We're never taught these things. And yet it's, it's one of our core drivers and such a, such an integral part of our lives. So being, having been a teacher, I often think about the education piece and how, how important it is to get high quality information out to people at at all stages in their life. Yeah. I love that you're bringing breakup strategy to the forefront. I mean, we hear about relationship coaches, um, dating strategists, I mean, which you also do, but breakup strategy, that is so, I I, I don't know of anybody else who does that. So that's what's super fascinating because I think it's just as important. Yes. And it's a part of life. So Esther Perel, who I love, she, you know, she says that we will have between two and three long-term relationships in our life. I think it's more, um, me significant relationships at least. And that it's so important to know, yeah, how to process the endings of relationships. And a part of why I love breakups is, you know, if I can say that is, you know, having been through a few is that they're just, they can be such tremendous opportunities for personal growth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, that's so well said. It's so true. And I can say that from personal experience. So uh, for those, you also help people get back with their exes, and which is super interesting. And whenever I bring that up to a friend, they're thinking, oh gosh, that is fascinating. Uh, so without going into the delicate strategies, obviously, uh, for your clients who have found success in getting their exes back, uh, would you support that some breakups can come back together stronger? 100%. However, it is in the minority. I think it's a part of the breakup process to have some lingering hopes, some ambivalence, hopes to want to get back together, but only a very small percentage, maybe like five, maybe 10% of people can actually um, have a successful go at it. What's fascinating is that the majority of my clients, I would say 70%, come to me for that issue. And in some cases I can help, in other cases I'm like the real issue here is, is, is that you're having trouble letting go. And cause I wouldn't want to help someone get back into a relationship that wasn't healthy. Yeah. So there's usually that first assessment to see, is it, is it healthy and is it viable? Um, the, the, the philosophy I always love for recoupling is the concept of the Japanese concept of kintsugi, where they repair broken pottery and they, they glue it back together with gold. The concept being that things can be more beautiful, more precious for having been broken. So what I see in some of the couples and like, you know, I've, I've had a couple marriages, some like engagements, I just had one recently, is that these couples, they broke up for a reason. Often it has to do with communication being the main one and commitment. And when they come together, they've learned certain lessons uh, that they can implement into their second relationship together. And they have this newfound appreciation for, for having been apart for a while. Yeah, I actually learned about this Japanese wellness practice from a podcast that you you did. And I I then looked up a book. It's called uh, Kintsugi Wellness uh, by Candice. I have it. Oh, you do? Okay, I want to <laughs> yeah. read it. I want to read it. So she says that 
this uh, wellness practice is built on the idea that sometimes in the process of repairing things that have broken, we actually create something more unique, beautiful, and resilient. Yes. And, and that, that is, that is the more like kind of holistic embracing kind of that shadow side of, of, of breakups that there is, there is, it's so hard, but it's, it's not a choice. It's a part of life. So you might as well like embrace it, learn to work with it and, uh, you know, extract all of the beautiful gifts. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's called a golden repair. Yes. So to close, uh, considering this is a very busy time for you with all of your clients, how are you creating space to nourish yourself and making time for your relationship? Well, so my partner is also an entrepreneur and we both have been just kind of equally busy and, you know, like this is, we're just kind of rising to the occasions and like our, you know, our business lives. So what we're doing is just making the most of the time that we do have together and making that quality time. So like I said, meals. Um, one of the things is I, I just I signed up for like a meal delivery service. So at least we know like dinner is, is, is handled and we take turn um, doing that. And then, yeah, just like longer walks on the weekends. We definitely have like one day where we try to do something, something fun. Um, and often it's just kind of getting outside or taking like a bike ride or something like that. But I would say it's just, it's overall just been doing things, appreciating the simple things. Yeah. I was going to mention that. It's like, you're doing those yeah. simple things, but you're really cherishing them and you're really being yeah. present in the moment. Like Lauren and I, we went for, um, uh, you know, a social distancing walk yes- yesterday evening. And obviously the topic of conversation was dating relationships, getting prepared for this interview with you. And Lauren was bringing up the topic of like, you know, it's really great that we can just enjoy these simple things. And, you know, as, as a close friend of Lauren's and Lauren being a close friend of mine, like, it's just nice. It's like, wow, we're just going for a walk, but it's just so fulfilling. So. Yeah, I feel like we're living in the olden days. I just meet friends to go for a bike ride or a walk or we'll call each other on the phone and that's it. There's nothing else to do. So or you go oh. read a book by the on in the park or at the beach and Yeah, the simple things. It's so yeah, nice. a return to a return to simplicity or an experience of simplicity and then whatever's on the other end of this, you know, maybe carrying some of it into the future. So to close everything, where can our audience connect with you? So I would say definitely on Instagram. I think that's a place I really kind of love to communicate with people the most. So it's at the breakup coach and also just to, yeah, maybe like sign up for my email list. I have, (laughs) once I kind of get through this busy period, I have so much content um, that I'm really excited to be, to be putting out. Yeah. And your website's Levistics. Yes, logistics.com or betterbreakups.com will redirect you there. And uh, I also understand that you have a, a recovery guide. You have a breakup recovery guide as well on your on your website. Yes, it's currently, um, yeah, I'm currently just revamping it. It's called Untangled. And it just, it helps people to understand the, the basic general um, psychology of a breakup. And I find that is just really helpful for, for helpful for people to understand like the different phases and what they can expect and a few different resources, including my breakup playlists, which I love. Um, so yeah, fun. So those are on there. Oh, that's so fun. Well, thank you so much again. This was so much fun. Lauren and I, sorry. Yeah. Lauren and I have been so excited for the past couple of weeks. So thanks again. That was yes, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. This was su- such great information. 
I'm gonna go back and listen to and take my notes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, thanks again, Natalia. And we'll have to do this again soon. Yes, please. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. That was our conversation with dating strategist and breakup coach Natalia Juarez. And if you would like to connect with Natalia, you can find her on Instagram at The Breakup Coach and visit her website at lavistics.com, where you can learn more about her private coaching services and find tons of resources, including her latest breakup recovery guide. And if you haven't already, we highly recommend you listen to our first discussion with Natalia back in November of 2018, titled Better Breakups and Quality Dating with Natalia Juarez, where Natalia Natalia shares a more detailed background on her story and how she became inspired to help others like you cultivate healthy and real love. And as always, you can find all of these links in our show notes. Thanks again for listening and we will speak to you soon. Bye-bye.